Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to our sermons as we walk through the book of Ephesians together as a church. During the weeks of October 31st, November 7th, and November 14th, we experienced some audio issues in the recording of our podcast. We wanted to go ahead and apologize for the inconvenience, but we also wanted to provide you with these sermons in case you were wanting to keep up from home. Thank you so much, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. It's good to be back uh, in the Lord's house and to worship in the name of Jesus. So good to be here. If you're new, uh, my name is Ethan, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here as well, and it's such an honor to have you worship with us today. I hope you find yourself at home, make some friends, and now you get to worship Jesus uh, as we do that together. I want to invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and make your way to Ephesians chapter 3. So go ahead and head that way, Ephesians chapter 3. In the book of Ephesians. I want to say uh, before we dig in today that uh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, the reason I want to say thank you is because last Sunday uh, we had a great, great Sunday as we got to host a trunk retreat here on the hill. And so if you were here, it was awesome. There were kids walking the plank over at Peter Pan. Uh, there were kids getting cavities from candy. I mean, it was glorious. And so uh, it was a wonderful time, and that gave us just an opportunity just to uh, be a minister, a, a way to serve the neighborhood, to serve the folks around us, and be for the city. And so, you guys are awesome. I want to say thank you just for how you uh, stepped up to the plate and served last week, and just create a space for, for folks to connect with our church family, just to know that we are a to them. And so, it was really sweet, um, and I'm very, very thankful that uh, we got to do that together. Um, today, in, in Ephesians 3, um, we're, we're going to be going through the first six verses in, in chapter 3. And so if you're if you're new here, what we've been doing over the past few weeks is walking through the book of Ephesians. And so as we study it, as we go through verse by verse, as we see God's truth here, it informs our minds and it leads us to respond in obedience to Him. And Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible, and one of the things about Ephesians is that there are moments that it goes very deep. Uh, you've seen that as we have walked through the particular passages. They, they have been very challenging and teaching us much about what God is like and who God is. And so what's happening right now is in the book of Ephesians, there's really two major sections to it, and that is chapters 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6. And so as we round the corner on the first half, what we've been learning is this theology, what we learn about God, this belief about Him, and it teaches us who He is and what He is like and His characteristics. And so we see that in chapters 1 through 3, and then chapters 4 through 6, we see the application of that. What is God leading us to do because of who He is? And so today, we are going to walk through a mystery. We will see a mystery at the beginning of chapter I don't know about you, but I love a good mystery story, a good mystery novel. They engage people. And there is, in fact, a mystery in the New Testament. And so I hope that engages you to want to hear what the mystery is because Paul will tell you today. So you don't have to have FOMO and be left out today. But I want us to look and read what you say. We will pray and we will unpack this mystery. So in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming 
that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, the partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Let's pray together, and then we will unpack this text. Heavenly Father, pray that these will not be my words, but they will be yours. And that in this moment, as we hear you speak to us through your word, God, I pray that we would be unified as a singular body of believers. And that, Lord, you would words and change our lives as we reflect on singular truth today. So, God, we commit this time to you, but that you would remove distractions in our hearts and allow us to hear from you clearly this morning as you speak to us in your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today, as we walk through this, uh, I believe the Lord has given us much to consider. Uh, so we're going to dive into the deep end. We have much work to do today. But in this first verse, I want us to see the prisoner. There's a prisoner here. His name is Paul. He's the writer of the book of Ephesians. So it's here that because of charges made against him, false charges made in the book of Acts, he is wound up in prison under house arrest. And he is writing these letters to the church in chains. And so this is a statement, when you look at verse 1, he says, For this reason I call a prisoner of Christ, of Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. When we see that, it is interesting to see that he is in prison on their behalf. And he doesn't say that he is a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say he's a prisoner of the garden. But what does he say? He says he is a prisoner of Christ. For the sake of the Gentiles. He is a prisoner of Christ. Now, if we pause and think about this for a minute, we see this. Watch this. That his identity, that Paul's essence of who he is, it was founded not in man, but in the maker. It wasn't found in who he was hitched to on the wall, but it was found in the Son of God. His identity. Now think about this. How often do we place our identity in engine to a situation, to an object, or even the situation alone? Folks, we have an identity crisis in the Christian church today. Seriously. Like for example, we do this often with personality tests. And I'll explain how. But like, if you know what the Enneagram is, or if you know like the Myers Green like personality test is, or like if you don't do those one of those BuzzFeed quizzes on Facebook that are super inaccurate and tell you like what Disney character you are, right? Those kind of things. I like I love a good analysis of those things. I, I think they're cool. I think they can be helpful. And and sometimes the temptation is that we lean in too hard to those things. And we allow them to become the essence of who we are. 
Like, how many of you have been paid? If you don't know anything about that, it just means that paid some characterized with this desire just to kind of bust down walls and do their own thing and do whatever they want. And so I know eights. I'm friends with eights. And, uh, when I think about them, I have friends that are eights, and then they'll go off and be reckless about something. They'll go off and be reckless, and they'll go and do something, and they'll go, hey, like, it's okay. I do these things because I'm an eight. And I'm like, hey, just because you're an eight doesn't give you the right to be foolish, right? Like, that's not the point. In the same way, if you're an introvert, right? It doesn't give you a free pass just to go and never talk to anyone. To never have a community that you build yourself into. Or if you're an extrovert, to sit down and have deep, meaningful conversations with others. See, we have tricked ourselves into thinking and believing that our essence is what our social media social media bios say, our personality tests say, opinions of other people, what all those things say, that is who you are. That is the narrative that we see spun in the culture today and in the world. And see, Paul, he could have said, I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm an ape. I'm an extrovert. No, he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ. And see, even in persecution, his identity is fixated upon the Son of God. In life or death, in anything, he sees that his situation is not the primary essence of who he is. In response to this statement of Paul, John MacArthur, a pastor in California, said that perspective is all important. How we view and react to circumstances is more important than the circumstances themselves. See, listen, your job does not define you. Your degree does not define you. Your accolades, your hobbies do not define you. Your situations in life do not define you. Your riches or poverty do not define you. Your sickness does not define you. In depression or anxiety, those things do not define you. Your Savior, Jesus Christ, defines you. Don't boast in those things, but boast in Christ. Boast in Jesus. See, Paul clearly says he's a prisoner of Christ. and gives us a perspective, a way to see not how the world sees us, but how God sees us. Through that lens in which God sees you, and it is in that that you find freedom. As a saint, fully in submission to Christ, that is the way in which Paul, the prisoner of Christ, sees himself, and this is the way we should see ourselves as followers of Jesus. He's a prisoner of Christ. He goes on in verse 2. He says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, for you. He pauses. Now, what's happening in chapter 3 is he is actually about to pray for the church at Ephesus. And so he opens up verse 1 with the opening to the prayer. But then, in the Holy Spirit's guidance and the prompting of his writing, he stops. He stops. And so he goes on to recognize and clarify that there's something of great importance that he wants the church at Ephesus to know before he prays for them. See, we see in this verse, he says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace they have given to me, and the Lord in those last two words, for you. See, here we see that God saved him, and now he was going to steward or leverage his, this grace so that he could benefit the church of Ephesus. See, God called him to be a shepherd, an encourager, a 
the local church. And in his life, it is now redirected towards the people of God so that they would be built up in Christ. See, I want to point out something here that he views about his own salvation. He sees his grace, he sees his new life as an opportunity to build up others in Jesus' name. It's not just for him alone. But he says, I have been given this for you. See, what God has revealed to Paul, he is going to give to someone else. And see, there is a point in the Christian journey that we understand that Christ builds us up through his spirit and his word. And the overflow of that is the building of the church. The giving away of what God has given to us. Several weeks ago, I got a call from a young man in our church, church member, and he uh, regularly calls me just to check in and just to see how I'm doing, and I so much appreciated that. And uh, as we were talking, I was asking him about how he was doing at this time uh, here with the people of the well, and he shared with me when he called me saying, you know, recently, over the past week, I've had this extraordinary amount of people just reach out and just care for me and encourage me and be there for me. And it was the first time, this is what he said, it was the first time that I realized that the Well Church is not just a group of people, but the Well is my family. They have served me, they have encouraged me, and he said, now I know it is my turn to give back to them. So, come on now. Those are my kind of phone calls. I love that. See, I pray that that is the posture of our lives in this walk with Jesus. That we will see this new life that God has given us in this grace we possess. We will steward it in well so that others will grow. We will steward it well so that we can serve others around us. Hear me out. It is easy. It is easy to receive the grace of God and call it what's it. It's so easy. It is easy and it's cheap and it doesn't cost us much. And I get why we be tempted to do something like that, but here is the deal. Look at me. You and I don't know how much longer we have on this earth. We don't know how many days we have left. And I want us to make every single one count. I want us to steward our lives. I don't want us to waste them. I want us to make them count so that Christ will be made known across the street and to the nations and that disciples will be made and built and the church will be served and most importantly, that God will be glorified by the way in which we steward ourselves and steward the grace, this life that God has given us. Do not settle for a life where God saves you and that is it. Run with us as we follow Christ, understanding that it is in Him we have this full abundance of following him. This is the means in which he has called us to run. And see, Paul stewarded this. I believe we, as we grow and mature as a church, that we should do. He goes on in verse 3, and he begins to talk about this mission, right? But he begins to talk about a mission. If you look back at verse 3, he says, this grace is going to be for you, 
So what's it specifically talking about? Here we go. Verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into, again, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So the way Ephesians 3 is lining up is we have this prisoner in the first verse, and in verses 3 through 5, we're beginning to see a purpose unfolding. And the purpose is seeing this mystery. See, I, I, I love a good mystery story. I'm a fan. And the basic idea of a mystery is that you have a story of someone or a situation where someone's trying to solve an issue or a challenge or a disruption that no one else can solve. And that's what makes it a mystery. Because of, because of its allure, because of its enticement, mysteries attract those. And people devote themselves to solving mysteries. Like one of the most famous solvers of mysteries, Sherlock Holmes. I was one of the posts from one of his adventures. He said, my name is Sherlock Holmes. It's my business to know what other people do not know. And I think it's a good way to think about it. Like, he has this knowledge of something that no one else knows about. It is not because he's in a clip, it's an insider, it's just he's a solver of mystery, he's a detective. And so this mystery, believe it or not, in scripture, no one else in the Old Testament knew this. Whatever Paul has, whatever information he is holding, no one else has known this. Abraham, Moses, David, none of them knew this. Paul says no former generation, verse 5, has seen or understood this mystery, this revelation, this understanding is new, but prior to it had been unanswered. And so for this reason, what Paul is doing, he is drawing us in to hear what's about to happen in verse 6, the most important part of this passage. We have to understand that God in his providence, in his kingdom, is he's about to reveal something of great magnitude. Something that he specifically wanted, watch this, the church to know. He wanted you to know this. Not the people of the Old Testament, not the fathers of the faith, but he wanted the church to know this, this piece of information that he decided that his infinite wisdom that it would be best for the church to know. That includes you. So what is it? What's the mystery? In his revelation of Paul, he unpacks it in verse 6. Look again. And let's see the mystery. It says, This mystery is that the Gentiles, the Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. The gospel. So here it is. Here is the mystery, guys. The glorious news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that all people, all people, all people can be saved. All people. Christ Jesus, He is the great partner who saves all who will call on Him. Pardoning them from their sins. And notice how Paul says it right here. It is not just the Jews. It's not just the Israelites. 
But all who would trust in him would receive the following. They would have an inheritance. They would have an adoption into the church body. And then they would be recipients of the promise of the gospel. This is what he lays out here. And so remember what has happened in chapter 2. Prior to this, at the end of chapter 2, there is a split. There is a division in the church at Ephesus. And who's in between? It's between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews are the chosen people of God, the nation of Israel, that have risen up, freed from slavery. They have the distinctive mark of circumcision that separates them from the rest of the world. And the Gentiles do not do these things. Different experience, different background, different peoples. And so within the church, Paul says in two, chapter 2 and the latter half, that there's a dividing wall of hostility between them. And that Christ, through his blood, takes down the dividing wall of hostility. The two become one. And they're made into one new name. And so in this, he further teaches and clarifies what he is saying here. That in this, it's not just the Jews that can be saved, but it is the Gentiles as well. And guess what, guys? That includes you and I. That all of us can be freely adopted into the body of Christ, into the family of faith, the universal church, through the Son, Jesus Christ. This is the great mystery that no matter your skin color, your background, your story, your family, no matter what any of those things are, that you can be brought in Christ. That you will be brought in. It's not just the Jews, but it's us, it's the Gentiles. And you'll notice what is in store for those who are following Jesus, who trust in Jesus. He gives them three things. It's almost like he's back. He said they're going to be fellow heirs. They're going to be members of the same body. And they'll be partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Listen. If you have trusted in Jesus, you are currently a recipient of these three things. And if you have not trusted in Jesus, these three things await you if you call upon the name of Jesus. He says you'll be a fellow heir with Christ. See, it's in Jesus' name that we learn from chapter 1 that we have this glorious inheritance of the saints. That this riches that follow being in Christ, that we get to be with him and dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The same blessing that was bestowed on them is bestowed on you and I. We are in, if you are in Christ Jesus, that you have an eternity that will be with the Father, not just for the people of God in the Old Testament, but for all. The riches of this world do not compare. The things in this life do not match up. But as we consider what it means to be in here, we receive all things through him in eternity to come. This is what awaits you in Jesus Christ. He says you're going to be fellow heirs of Christ, and then you're going to be members of the same body. See, it's in Jesus' name that we come together as one new man, one church, according to chapter 2. And so here is the deal. We come together as one, and it means folks like you, Folks not like you. People that are younger, people that are older, people that have different preferences, 
people have different distinct distinctions about them, that all of us come together as one. It's easy for a church to rally around and just have one strain of like-mindedness in terms of the type of people that it engages with. But as a church matures and grows, it will grow in the differences that people have with one another. There's a lot of differences between Jew and Gentile right there. There are many differences between those two people groups. And he says that you'll be members of the same body. And so the way our church will continue to grow and be faithful is by welcoming in those who are not like us. By seeing that we're one, despite the distinctions and differences. And that is a good thing. It's good to be different some ways. It's healthy because we are one church. We're members of the same body. I hope you see yourselves today not as subgroups, not as um, small groups that just simply you know have a common thread on a Sunday morning, but that we are one faith. We are one church. We are one body. That is his design of the church. And that across the world we comprise the church. The universal church as one. Fellow heirs of Christ. We're members of the same body. We're partakers of the promise. See, you all, if you are in Christ, have received the grace of the Lord Jesus. And what's the promise that he speaks of here? It is the promise of the gospel. When he finishes out his argument here in verse 6, he says that we are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel message, the good news. And so here is the good news, is that you and I are being spiritually dead, Ephesians 2, 1, we've been made alive in Jesus Christ, according to his word. The God takes your identity, one that is in darkness, one that as in despair, one that says you're without hope, without God in the world, Ephesians chapter 2. That is the cost of your life. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that he wipes away all of those things so that we would be made new. So that we would have an identity in the Son of God. So that we would be made white as snow, the symbol of holiness and righteousness. And we are brought into the family of God. Seems in this day and age that more often than not, people are looking for a family, looking for people to do life with, do all things with. It's in Christ that we give rise to the best memory of all. That's the family of God. This promise is to all trust in And so, Brendan, if you're here today, and you've never trusted in Jesus. All these things await for those who believe in him. You may have been trying to place your identity in other things. You may have been trying to earn this, but I just want to share with you this hope. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own duty, it's the gift of God. This great mystery is that God has a gift for everybody. It's the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He takes you from death to life. 
Take us all to the gospel, and you will be able to make 